For those of you who are just uh, joining us for the first time here this morning, welcome, good to have you. I am preaching through the book of Nehemiah. We're nearing the end. We're now in Nehemiah chapter 11. We won't read it right away. We'll go ahead and turn to it and then we'll read it in, in just a few minutes here. We will be reading the entire chapter this morning, Nehemiah chapter 11. Let's go ahead and pray as we get started this morning. Well, Father, we just look to you for help now in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we believe you are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. Eternal God of gods, you humbled yourself and took on human flesh and lived a perfect life and died on the cross. And then you were raised to life again. You've been exalted back to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. We believe that At some point in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, either willingly or unwillingly, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we look to you now, Lord Jesus Christ, gracious, merciful, powerful Savior, and ask for your help as we turn to your word that you would would energize us, that you would strengthen us this morning. I pray, Father, you'd help us to be active as we engage with your word and not passive this morning. Help us, Lord, to be alert. Help us, Lord, uh, to receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. We thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Before we read, let me just kind of uh, set up where we're at here. Uh, Before this man, Nehemiah, was born, the Jewish people had been taken into exile. Uh, The Babylonians invaded the city of Jerusalem. They they tore uh, the city wall down. They hauled the Jewish people off into exile some 900 miles away from the, the, the country of Israel. Uh, but King Cyrus of Persia, he later wrote a decree that the Jewish people could return uh, to the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, this man Nehemiah, at the start of this book, he returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city wall. And Nehemiah has now done that. Uh, he finished the city wall in chapter 6 of this book. And this now, here in chapter 11, this is about one month later. After the wall has been finished, the wall around Jerusalem has been rebuilt, but the situation within Jerusalem is still very bleak. The city is just not safe yet. And one of the reasons why the city is not safe, there's just not enough people living in the city yet at this time. It's a walled city, but it is still a very empty city. Back in Nehemiah 7.4, just after the wall was built, Nehemiah said this. If you go ahead and put that on the screen, Nehemiah 7.4, Nehemiah said this. Right after the wall was built, the city was wide and large, but the people within the city were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And this right here is now here in chapter 11. It's one month later. There's still very few people living within the city 
of Jerusalem. Why hadn't the people uh, moved into the city at this point? Probably lots and lots of reasons. For starter, for starters, this city had been without a wall for some 142 years now. Uh, it had been a very defenseless city for over a century. It had been a very dangerous city um, for people to, to live in. And, and this city of Jerusalem at this point in time... It was still a mess. The Babylonians had absolutely devastated the place. They had stripped the city of everything valuable. They had obliterated the houses in the city. Uh, Rubble now all over the streets of Jerusalem. I'm sure the grass and the trees had grown up within that rubble. The the city was just a mess. Nehemiah said there in chapter 7, we just read it, he said that no houses had yet been rebuilt. Just a difficult place place for the people of, of Israel um, to, to live in. And I'm sure the people at this point in time had grown very accustomed, accustomed to living out in the country. Uh, wide open spaces out there in the country. Beautiful fields, growing their wheat, growing their barley, raising their sheep. Who wants to live in a dingy, rundown city? Uh, just shortly after college, for just a couple of months... I lived with friends in New York City, and, and there were parts of New York City that I absolutely loved. Uh, I still miss to, the, to this day, but I'm going to tell you what, I never got used to the concrete in that city, everywhere. I was a Kansas boy uh, living in New York City. I grew up in Kansas City, so it was a city, but I had fields around me, open spaces, and I was used to those open spaces. And I lived in New York City and just felt like I would choke in there. And, and the Jews here probably felt the same, very accustomed now, I think, to living out in the country in these open spaces. Who wants to live in this dingy city? For, for whatever reason, very few Jews at this time were actually living in Jerusalem, and the city, therefore, was just not safe. So in this chapter here, Nehemiah 11, Nehemiah now works to populate the city. He moves people into Jerusalem to make it safer. We do run into a lot more names here in Nehemiah 11, Hebrew names, and it is tempting when you run into chapters full of Hebrew names, it's tempting to just skip over those chapters and act like they don't exist. Uh, But 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all scripture has been breathed out by God and is profitable for us. And that includes even the chapters with the names. And I've learned that if you will take your time with these chapters that have the names, you can usually find some pretty good things in there. So in honor of the God who breathed this out for our good, we'll go ahead and read it now if you look at verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. 
And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez. And Maasiah, the son of Baruch, son of Colhose, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Joyarib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin. Salu, the son of Meshulam, son of Joed, son of Padiah, son of Koliah, son of Maasiah, son of Ithiel, son of Jeshiah, and his brothers, men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hasanua, was second over the city. Of the priest, Jediah, the son of Joyarib, Jachin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Mariath, son of Ahitub, ruler of the house of God, and their brothers who did the work of the house, 822, and Adiah, the son of Jeroham, son of Palaliah, son of Amzi, son of Zechariah, son of Pasher, son of Malchijah, and his brothers, heads of fathers' houses, 242. And Amashai, the son of Azarel, son of Azai, son of Meshilamoth, son of Immer, and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdael, the son of Hagadolim. And of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, son of Azrikam, son of Hashabiah, son of Bunny and his brother Squirrel, and Shabbathai and Jazabad of the chiefs of the Levites who were over the outside work of the house of God. Just wanted to make sure you were listening. And Madaniah, the son of Micah, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and Bakbukiah, the second among his brothers, and Abda, the, second, the son of Shamua, son of Galal, son of Jeduthun, all the Levites in the holy city were 284. The gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brothers, who kept watch at the gates, were 172. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived in Awful, and Ziha and Gishpa were over the temple servants. The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, son of Hashabiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micah, one of the sons of Asaph, the singers over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. And Pethahiah, the son of Meshezabel, of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its villages, and in Dibon and its villages, and in Jacobziel and its villages, and in Jeshua and in Moladah and Beth Pellet, in Hazar Shual, in Beersheba and its villages, in Ziklag, in Makona and its villages, in Enrimon, in Zora, in Jarmuth, Zanoah, Adullam and their villages, Lachish and its villages, and Ezekah and its villages. So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward at Michmash, Aijah, Bethel and its villages, Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazer, Ramah, Gitaim, 
Hadid, Zeboim, Nabalet, Lod, and Ono, the Valley of Craftsmen, and certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Gesundheit. <laughs> Man, just read them fast and act like you know what you're doing. That's the key, right? <laughs> just to let you know, we will be having a test on those names next Sunday. Uh, so you can bring your number two pencil. <clears throat> I've got two simple points this morning, two Simple things that I think we can see here in this long chapter of names. And the first thing that we can see clearly here in this chapter is this. Number one, God relocates. God relocates. God there in chapter 11, God there is relocating a mass of people. God now carries out, through this man, Nehemiah, this gigantic relocation project, moving loads of people now into the city of Jerusalem. Not an easy thing for for people to do, to to relocate. Many of you have probably had to do that at times, relocate your family from from one city in the country to another city, or or from this country to to another country. Uh, It's just not an easy thing to do, to relocate. Molly and I, uh, in order to help start this church, we relocated from Mississippi up here to Minnesota, or, as I like to say, we relocated from hell up to heaven. (laughs) I did not like Mississippi, man. So thankful to get out of that state. And Molly, who had to pack a lot of our home there in Mississippi in order for us to move, well, she just so happened to be pregnant at the time. And Molly, when she gets pregnant, gets incredibly nauseated. Morning, noon, and night sickness as she loaded up our house. Not easy. And man, once you do finally arrive in your new city, well, now you got to get used to this entirely new area. I remember being in the Twin Cities for the first time and honestly got lost like eight times in two days. Uh, Back before we had all the maps on our phones and I'm just wandering around the city, so I ended up with a Garmin on my dash because of the Twin Cities. you got to learn this whole new area, find your way around, figure out where you'll buy gas, where you'll buy food. you got to build new relationships from scratch. It's just not easy to relocate, and we see right here a bunch of families relocating. Commentators believe that some 10,000 people probably relocated here under the leadership of Nehemiah. 10,000 people. Nehemiah here, he's kind of like this civil or, or, or social engineer or something, just revitalizing this, this city. It's a rundown city. There's no people. And Nehemiah is now building it up, man. Builds the wall around the city. Maybe put some condos by the river, a new sports stadium, new theaters. And now Nehemiah is going to try to populate this city. Verse 1 there says that the leaders of the people were already living in Jerusalem at this time. The leaders there apparently setting an example for the people by being the first 
to move into the city. That's what good leaders do. Good leaders don't hide from the danger and send their people in. Hey, enjoy your time in Jerusalem. No, no, no. The leaders will go first into the danger, leading their people into it. I've mentioned before in the movie Braveheart, uh, the English who um, um, don't come out looking that great in the movie Braveheart. Well, the leaders of the English army stay way back on the hillside and send their people into the battle. But the Scottish army doesn't work like that. No, the leader of the Scottish army, William Wallace, is the first into the fight, leading his people into the fight. And that's really the leaders here, I think. They make this decision as leaders. If the people are going to follow us into this unpopulated, dangerous city, then we have to go first. And they make the commitment. They move um, themselves and their families into Jerusalem. And verse 1 then says that the rest of the people, well, they then cast lots to bring one family out of every ten into the city of Jerusalem. Casting lots back then was kind of like just, just throwing dice or like drawing straws or something like that. And the Jewish people, they just believed in the providence of God that when you cast these lots, that, that, that God was going to be supreme over these lots and God would ultimately be making the decision here. The book of Proverbs actually says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So these people here just submit to this casting of lots. It's just kind of picture, you know, a guy kind of basically holding ten straws out. And, and now you've got ten families here, and all ten families come up. They each grab one straw, and, and the family with the shortest straw, well, they've just received their relocation papers. And they will now be moving into the city of Jerusalem, while the other nine families will remain on their own lands out in the country. It does appear, however, that these families that moved into the city, well, they weren't forced to move there. They, they weren't evicted from their homes or anything like that. And Nehemiah indicates that they moved voluntarily. If you look again at verse 2, And the people blessed all the men and their families who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So it, 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 it seems that these families were first selected by lot. Oh, they got the short straw, but then they willingly or voluntarily submitted and said, we will go and we will move into the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah then gives us here the names, the heads of the households of those who relocated. We will not get bogged down with all of the Hebrew names here this morning. I just want to point out a couple of major things that you can see here in this chapter. Nehemiah says here that the people who relocated at this time, well, they were primarily from two of the 12 original tribes of Israel. If you look at verse 4, he says, And in Jerusalem live certain of the sons of Judah... And of the sons of Benjamin. Those are two of the original 12 tribes of Israel. Now 1 Chronicles 9 actually says that, that people from other tribes also relocated here. But it seems that it was primarily the people from Judah and from Benjamin. Uh, which makes sense. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, it was located in the southern part of, of Israel. Israel. 
an area that originally belonged to those two tribes, to, to Judah and Benjamin. And it was primarily those two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, that had been taken into exile by the Babylonians when they invaded Jerusalem. And those two tribes now, Judah and Benjamin, are now essentially moving back into their own city here. And, and Nehemiah says in several places in, in this chapter, Nehemiah, he refers then to the men who actually moved into Jerusalem as valiant men or men of valor. If you look at verse 6, all the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. Or end of verse 7, the son of Jeshiah and his brothers, men of valor. Or the end of verse 13, the son of Emmer and their brothers, mighty men of valor. So they're selected by Lot. <laughs> they willingly choose to go into Jerusalem, but Nehemiah keeps describing them as valiant or men of valor. And I think that right there is probably just an indication that this relocation project here was primarily about defense. These families, they were moving primarily to protect this newly walled city. The last thing I'll just point out here quickly is that we also see in this chapter the names of a bunch of temple workers who relocated at this time. You can see in verses 10 to 14, Nehemiah names a bunch of priests who moved now into Jerusalem. Verses 22 to 24, a bunch of, gate, uh, yeah, a bunch of gatekeepers who moved into Jerusalem. Verses 15 to 19, the Levites who moved into Jerusalem. So all of these temple workers, uh, in addition to these people from Judah and Benjamin, all these temple workers also now moving into Jerusalem, which also makes sense. The temple in Jerusalem had recently been rebuilt in the book of Ezra. And in the past two chapters here, in the book of Nehemiah, within the last month, the people have recommitted themselves to actually worshiping in the temple. So now they're going to have all this renewed worship in the temple. In order to sustain all that worship in the temple, they are going to need some temple workers uh, living close to the temple. You can't have these guys commuting three hours every day to get to the temple. The traffic was too bad, right? Back in Jerusalem. So here they go. All these people um, now moving into Jerusalem. Some 10,000 people. Just picture it packing up their stuff, leaving their homelands, leaving their inheritance out in the country, and submitting and saying, we believe that God has chosen us to move into Jerusalem. And here they come. Here they come by droves into the city of Jerusalem to populate this city once again. This is a massive relocation project and you might not realize this but this relocation project here God moving all of these people into this city well God is today doing something very very similar to that 
God is right now, at this very moment, He is carrying out another massive relocation project. Just on a much grander scale. The God of this universe is right now all around the globe. He is bringing loads of people into a much, much better city. God is not bringing people right now into a physical city here on this earth. No, the Bible says that God is now bringing people into a spiritual city in heaven. And here's how it works. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. The entire human race has rebelled against the God who created us. And because of our sin, well, the entire human race was exiled. From God's presence. The second Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. God banished humanity from his presence. Because sinful people cannot live in the presence of a holy God. Similar to these Jews right here in the book of Nehemiah. Because of our sin, the entire human race was exiled away from God. The Bible says that we became enslaved to the world and to the flesh and and to the devil. But because God still loved us, he sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission. Jesus came to this earth. He lived and on the cross he took our sin upon himself. He paid the penalty for that sin, which was death. And now everyone who truly turns to Jesus in repentance and clings to Jesus and follows Jesus in simple childlike faith, well, God forgives you of your sin. You are now a child of God. God now loves you with an infinite, eternal love. God will never stop loving you no matter what you do in this life. And here's the thing. The second you truly cling to Christ in faith, guess what? You just came out of exile. You just came out of a spiritual exile. The Bible says that you are no longer enslaved to the world and the flesh and the devil. You are now a free person. You are now free to follow Jesus. You are free. And here's the great thing about God. The second you trust in Jesus Christ, here's the thing. He doesn't just bring you out of something. He doesn't just bring you out of exile. No, God actually brings you into something. And you know what God actually brings you into the second you trust in Christ? Well, God brings you into his heavenly city. That's what the Bible says. Philippians 3.20 says that your citizenship is now in heaven. Your, your physical body might be seated in a chair uh, here in Woodbury, but, but according to God, your soul is now seated in heaven with Christ at the right hand of God. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You, and the second you trust in Christ, you are now a citizen of God's heavenly Jerusalem. Do you realize that? The second you trust in Christ, you are now a citizen of God's heavenly Jerusalem. God has, in effect, lifted your soul up into his heavenly city, the heavenly city of Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, 22 says this about all Christians. It says, you have come, believers, you have now come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Paul in Galatians, he says, 
the Jerusalem above is free. And that Jerusalem is the mother of all Christians. Every believer, every believer, it doesn't matter who you are. If you are connected to Christ today by faith, then then you are somehow now connected to the Jerusalem above You have, in a sense, already been relocated. Your soul lifted into God's heavenly city. Similar to these people here, God has now relocated you, Christian. You have gone already from exile into God's heavenly Jerusalem. God has moved you. And that relocation process, God essentially moving people, their souls, into his heavenly city, his heavenly Jerusalem, that's right now happening all over the globe. Every tribe and language and people and nation, God is bringing people to faith in Christ. And the second you come to Christ in faith, God forgives you and God lifts your soul up into his heavenly city. You have now come God says in Hebrews 12, you've now come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That is crazy. You have been relocated, Christian. You have been. Do you realize that which was taking place here in Nehemiah 11? It was just a little snapshot of what God would do in and through Jesus. Bring people to his heavenly city. And here's the beautiful thing. If you are now a citizen of God's heavenly city, if you've now come to that heavenly Jerusalem, you're now following Christ in simple childlike faith, well guess what? You now have the privilege of helping others move into that heavenly city. You have the privilege of helping others To move into God's heavenly city. Matthew 28. Jesus says go now. Make disciples of all nations. Go now and bring others. Into my heavenly city. You know what you are now? As a believer. You're a full time mover. (laughs) You ever heard. You ever heard of two men in a truck? <laughs> Two men in a truck. Well, that's you. You are now, um, by virtue of your connection to Jesus Christ, you are now a mover. That's us. You now get to help other people move. You get to help them to relocate to God's better Jerusalem. And listen, moving people is not easy, is it? <laughs> Man, have you ever moved a friend before? <laughs> you you move, yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, yeah, I moved a friend. I moved way too many friends. I can tell you that. Uh, that is just not easy, is it? it? It takes a little work to move somebody from one house to the next, or from one city to the next. I mean, man, you wish you, you were just, uh, uh, that genie could snap her fingers or just blink her eyes or whatever, and they're moved into this new home. It just doesn't work like that. It takes some labor to move people. Man, I decided years ago, 
that I would never, ever, ever own a pickup truck. (laughs) Because I don't want you and your mother asking me to move you every week. (laughs) Because moving is too hard and I don't like hard work. (laughs) Man, when I was in high school, my family, we moved within the Kansas City area and we asked our friends, can you help us move? And they're so nice. Yeah, we'll help you move. And then the day of the move, temperature dropped to zero and an ice storm hit. (laughs) And I can tell you what, we learned that day who our true friends were. <laughs> they were the, the few, the proud, the remnant who actually stuck with us through difficult conditions. It is not easy to move somebody from one place to the next. It's not easy to see people relocated. And listen, moving people into God's heavenly city, that also can take a bit of work. I think most Christians, man, I I think we have a desire to see people come to Christ and to enter that heavenly Jerusalem. I think we have that desire. I think many Christians are not prepared to work for it. We're just not prepared to work for it. We want to say a couple words, maybe, and give a little evangelistic spiel, and uh, maybe that'll do it. Did it work? And we hope it works, and sometimes, by God's grace, it does work. But you know what? Moving people, many times, takes a lot more work than that. It takes time. Many times, it takes months. Many times, it takes years. It takes effort. It takes energy. It takes planning. It takes commitment. It takes ongoing labor. You can't give up. It takes work to move souls into God's heavenly city. But man, listen to me, please. The rewards are worth it. Jesus says in Luke 15, 4, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Man, you now, as a Christian, if you're connected to Christ by faith, you now have the privilege of helping other people relocate. You can join arms with other believers, two men in a truck, and you can roll up your sleeves and work to see people moved into the kingdom of heaven. And that right there causes all of heaven to explode with joy. So man, let me encourage you, work towards that end. This relocation that you see here, moving people into Jerusalem, just take that in a spiritual sense now and work to bring people into the spiritual Jerusalem. Let me encourage you families to do that. You know, as families, as mother, father, with your kids, so easy just to focus on your family. And I get that, man. I love my family. But please hear me. Jesus Christ doesn't just bless us as an end in and of itself. No, Jesus Christ blesses us in order that we might then be a blessing to the world, in order that we might then share what's been given to us, to the world. Let me encourage you as families, don't be an end in yourself. Don't be a lake that pools all the resources and blessings of God. May God help you to be a river that receives blessings and then somehow opens them up to the world. That's going to look different for every family and that's okay. But may God help you families to aim to see souls moved into the kingdom of heaven. Let me encourage all life groups to do that. To aim to see unbelievers brought into the kingdom. That is one of the goals of our life groups. Our life groups are not just meant to be Christians sitting around and talking with one another, though that's fun. No, our life groups, one of the primary purpose is that we would labor together to see people brought into God's heavenly Jerusalem. So man, may God help us as a church to labor to that end, to plan for it, and to work 
for it. To see people relocated by the grace of God into the much better Jerusalem. That's one thing we see here in this chapter. God, he relocates here, moving this mass of people into this city of Jerusalem. God relocates. And a second thing that we can see here, number two, God remembers. God remembers. God relocates. And God remembers. You know this list of names here. Every time you hit a list of names like this in the Bible, it can just seem so boring (laughs) to you and me. I know how it is. But listen, this list of names right here, I can tell you this. It is not boring to God in the least. God remembers every last one of these people that we just read about. God, when they walked this earth, God knew them intimately. Still does. He knew everything about them. God God loves them. God made sure (laughs) that every single name would be recorded in Scripture. Every name preserved on this document for all eternity. All those people who relocated into Jerusalem, God then took their names and had them preserved in this document. People all over the world for over 2,000 years now have read these names. That's incredible. God relocates, and listen, those whom God relocates, well, God remembers them. God remembers them, all of them. And please hear me on this. Every single person now who moves now into God's heavenly city by faith through Christ Jesus, Every single person who clings to Christ and follows Christ and becomes a citizen of God's heavenly Jerusalem, every person who's been relocated into that city, God remembers you. God remembers you. God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows the good parts of you. But you know what? You have a both and. You have a good part. And you also have a part that's not so good. A broken, fallen, uglier part. And listen, God knows all those parts of you. And if you, by faith, have relocated now your soul to the heavenly city, Jerusalem, God remembers you. He loves you. All of you. And here's the thing. Just like God did here, the people relocated, and then God wrote their names down and recorded them. Listen. All those who by faith in Christ have relocated to the new Jerusalem. Do you know God has also written your name down? For all eternity. Jesus says this to his disciples in Luke 10, 20. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Revelation 21:27 says that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And the second you truly turn to Christ in faith, 
a broken sinner turning to Jesus for mercy. Well, God has now relocated you. You're now a citizen of his heavenly city, and God will remember you forever. Your name written forever in the Lamb's book of life. That is really good news. <laughs> and he will never blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life simply because of Jesus Christ, his son. God relocates and God remembers. Man, that which we see here in this chapter, which took place over 2,000 years ago, God relocating, God remembering. Well, that was just a small picture. It was just a small foretaste of what God would do in and through his son Jesus, relocating people to the much better Jerusalem and remembering their names forever written in the Lamb's book of life. And man, as we close here this morning, I just want you to think for a second about one final thing. This relocation that happens when you turn to to Christ in faith, this move that your soul now makes into God's heavenly city, that's not the end of the story. That right there is just the beginning of the story. Because the Bible says that Jesus will return someday soon. A second and final time. And when Jesus does return, well, that heavenly city, that heavenly Jerusalem, which, which will then, when Jesus returns, it will consist of all the souls throughout history who trusted in Christ. Well, the Bible says that when Jesus returns, that heavenly city will then descend out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. And it won't now consist of just a bunch of souls. No, The Bible says that when Christ returns, the dead body of every single Christian will rise from the grave. A resurrected body like the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Your soul will then re-enter your body and you will then live both body and soul in God's new and glorified Jerusalem, the city of God forever. Revelation 21.1 gives us a snapshot, just a snapshot of this final state of believers. It says this, Then I saw, then I saw at the end of the ages, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Man, Christian, we don't know how all of that is going to work out. We just don't know. And if you think you've got all the details figured out, uh, you need to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. We don't know how it's all going to work out. But I can tell you this much. At the end of the ages, after Christ has returned, at some point, every single believer will be living both body and soul in God's final, glorious, eternal city in the very presence of God Himself. No more mourning, no more tears, no more pain, no more death anymore. It will all be done. And do you realize that for thousands of years now, God's 
people have absolutely longed for that final eternal city. Even the Old Testament saints in the Bible, they longed for that final fulfillment of God's heavenly Jerusalem. Do you know when Abraham, back in the book of Genesis, when he finally made it into the promised land, man, he had arrived, right? Well, do you realize that Abraham, even then, he was still looking forward to something better? Hebrews 11.10 says this. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham, even in the promised land, still yearning for God's ultimate eternal city. All of the Old Testament saints were yearning for that. For that final ultimate city, Hebrews eleven sixteen said this about the Old Testament saints. It said, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Final city God had prepared the Old Testament saints in the Bible. Man, they knew it. They longed for it. They yearned for it. Or how about Hebrews 13, 14 says this about all Christians. For here on this present earth, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. God's people for thousands of years have been longing, have been yearning for the fulfillment, the final fulfillment of God's glorious and heavenly city. No mourning, crying, pain, or death. And man, listen, when we do finally get there, only then will the relocation of all God's people finally be complete. A move all the way from exile To exaltation. I'll end with this. John Bunyan wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory or picture of the Christian life. The main character in the book is named Christian. And Christian starts out in the book. He's lost. He's exiled, living away from the presence of God. And he's living in a place called the city of destruction. But Christian then meets Jesus, and Christian then is, is delivered of his burden of sin. And then at the end of the book, after this long journey then in the book, well, Christian, he now enters a new city, which Bunyan calls the Celestial City. And as Christian and his friend Hopeful Man, they walk up, they approach this Celestial City, A group of angels says this to them. You are going now to the paradise of God. Wherein you shall see the tree of life. And eat of the never fading fruits thereof. You shall have white robes given you. And your walk and talk shall be every day with the king. Even all the days of eternity. And the book then says this. And lo, as they entered, they were transfigured. And they had garments put on that shone like gold. All the bells in the city rang again for joy. And it was said unto them,
Enter ye into the joy of your Lord. The city, all the bells rang for joy. Seeing these saints, broken, broken, not perfect, but seeing them finally enter the celestial city, all the bells in the city rang for joy. All of heaven exploding with joy. Enter ye into the joy of your Lord. And please hear me on this. If you are connected today to Christ by faith, that is your future. That is your future. That is your future. That is your future. An eternal city relocated all the way from the city of destruction in which we all lived to the celestial city. And all because of Christ. So trust in Christ today. doesn't matter who you are. Cling to Him in faith. And man, after you do, doesn't matter what you go through today. Remember this. Something much better is coming for you. Something much, much better is coming for you. Your relocation is not yet complete, but it will be soon. May God give you the grace to live your today in light of your glorious future in that eternal city. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your grace to help us believe. And Lord, it really is that that picture of our final heaven. It really is that picture that motivates us to keep running. As Charles Spurgeon said, we must live our life today in light of that eternal city. God, help us. Give us faith to believe. Give us faith to believe that that exists. That in and through Christ, we will be relocated from the city of destruction all the way to the celestial city. Father, whatever we go through today, will you remind us our future is much, much better than today. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen.